This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Thank you for joining me. Well, election day has come and almost gone, and there's a lot to talk about. So I turn to Michael Petrelli, the president of the Fordham Institute in Washington, D.C., who follows everything that's happening in his hometown and can draw out all of the implications for education, even as we are awaiting the final results of the election itself. So, Michael, first I'm going to ask you, who won this election? <laughs> well, that's not fair, Paul. <laughs> hey, Paul, great, great to be with you. I should also say, you know, I do consider my hometown to be St. Louis. I'm a good Midwesterner, uh, like others we know. But yes, my adopted home of Washington, D.C. is, is waiting to find out uh, who's going to be in charge. And uh, as of this taping, we still don't know, but it sure does look like, as of now, uh, Joe Biden just may eke it out. Well, that's the way I see it. I don't quite see how Trump has a way to uh, the 270 votes, but you can never know until it's all over. Now, on the other hand, it looks like the Republicans may keep control of the Senate. Do you have an estimate of how many seats the Republicans are likely to have when it all is said and done? Yeah, you know, again, Paula, as of this taping, it looks like it's going to be very close. Uh, and it, in fact, could depend on a runoff election in Georgia, which wouldn't happen until January. Uh, Republicans usually run the usually win those kinds of runoffs, but you can imagine if if the fate of the Senate uh, comes down to that, uh, we're going to see a ridiculous amount of money being spent in in Georgia in coming weeks. But I, I think we what we can say is the Senate's going to be very closely divided, and as of right now, it looks like the the higher probability is that the the Republicans are going to keep it. Yeah, I sort of did an estimate, getting getting fifty two uh, for the Republicans, forty eight for the Democrats, but there could be a a vote um, shift there, um, but still, um, yeah, um, Mitch McConnell must feel pretty proud of himself uh, mm -hmm. holding his party together uh, in the face of all of this uh, tremendous uh, expenditures that were put yeah. into the Senate campaign. That's right, and 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 winning big himself in his own race. So that that's right. So, what's the meaning for education? Um, First of all, before we get to education too specifically, it seems to me like we've got divided government again. So we're not going to have something like Obama in 2008 or Trump in 2016, where you had unified control by one political party of the House, the Senate, and the presidency. That doesn't look like it's on the table. So we've got divided governments. And isn't that a big, big fact? It, it sure does look like it. And, and look, I would argue that divided government has often been pretty good for education reform. Uh, you know, education reform is one of these movements that's been relatively centrist uh, over the years, center left to center right. Uh, oftentimes an issue that politicians have reached for when they want to show that they're willing to break with the base of their own party. We saw that, you know, for example, with Bill Clinton, uh, you know, breaking with the unions on some things and George W. Bush breaking with Republicans uh, when it came to federal involvement in education. Now, we haven't heard a lot of that kind of talk from either parties lately, uh, but uh, it, it is certainly possible that this is, you know, among the better case scenarios that could have happened. Let's, so, for example, Paul, on charter schools, 
you know, the, the, Joe Biden has not been uh, all that positive on charter schools in this campaign. In fact, probably the most negative that any presidential major party candidate has been. Uh, but uh, it's going to probably be hard for him to do much to at least cut funding for charter schools as long as Republicans control the Senate uh, and can stick up for them. Well, for one thing, it's unlikely that he's going to be able to ban for-profit charters. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine McConnell letting that get through the Senate. Yeah, and, and, and just it seems hard to believe that Joe Biden would spend political capital on that kind of a fight, especially when he himself hasn't shown a lot of interest in education in his career. Now, a lot's going to depend on who he appoints as education secretary. But again, if Republicans control the Senate, that's going to box him in. He's, you know, pe people were talking about whether, you know, former NEA president Lily Eskelson Garcia was going to be appointed. Well, uh, whoever, you know, gets appointed is going to need 50 Republican votes, perhaps. Uh, well, are they going to be generous? I mean, it's usually the case that when the new president comes into office, the party that controls the Senate, even if it is the opposition party, can mm -hmm. say, we shall let the president have whomever <laughs> the president wants, at least for now. Oh, you're waxing nostalgic now, Paul. That may have been the case back when you were a boy, but uh, come on. Do you remember what Betsy DeVos went through four years ago? Uh, you know, she got I think up. I think McConnell remembers. It's not <laughs> remember, but what McConnell remembers, I, I'm sure he remembers that fact. No, look, and, and certainly on education, that was there was a long tradition of, of it being, you know, a, a place where people got along and, and the education secretaries were asked polite questions when they went through their confirmation hearings. And and they were overwhelmingly supported by both parties, but that did not happen with Betsy DeVos last time around. I think Republicans are gonna remember that. So, you know, I think the incentive will be for Joe Biden to pick somebody uh, who, you know, in various ways makes his uh, coalition happy enough, but is not gonna be someone that's really gonna poke their eyes uh, in the Republicans. So look, I, I would, for example, Paul, guess that they're gonna pick somebody from higher education. Uh, to be education secretary, perhaps, you know, maybe the president of a historically black college uh, or somebody else who's had a, a long track record in uh, working on college affordability or access issues. But, you know, if they go with a higher ed person, they can sidestep some of the divides within the, the Democratic Party when it comes to uh, reformers versus the unions. But now the president does have the power of issuing executive orders mm -hmm. and issuing interpretations of laws through new regulations, and you can recall that the Trump administration has used that power to undo a lot of things that the Obama administration, both in higher ed and in K-12 education. So we almost have to uh, expect that the first thing Biden will do will be to go back to the Obama administration of which he was a part. Yeah, no, I think I think that's right, Paul. That that is, I, I think the actions in two places. One is around regulatory issues, as you say, and and there is a lot on the list. Uh, we have a great article uh, that that folks can check out at the Education Next website by Dave DeShriver, looking at uh, what some of those issues are. But you know, when it comes to uh, some of the civil rights issues, discipline, 
Title IX, uh, you know, some of the student loan uh, policies. There's a lot there uh, that the Joe Biden team could do to reverse Trump era policies without getting the approval of Congress. Uh, and I think we should expect that they will get to work on that. Also, they will face a big decision about whether or not to waive the testing requirements uh, under federal law for this spring uh, for, for students in grades they're three. They're gone. Four. I say they're gone. Yeah, no I, I think requirements this year. I, I think that's right. Year, they'll they'll, they'll, they'll po push the, f the ball down the road for, for next year, but yeah. they're not, they're going, they've got the perfect opportunity. No, we can't impose that on top of everything else that the schools are going through. Yeah, I think that's right. But now the other big thing here, Paul, is about money, right? I mean, Joe Biden has, has been pushing for another big relief package. And look, it's a good, first of all, I think that's going to probably now have to wait for him, you know, that Republicans are not going to be eager to do a relief package in a lame duck session, especially if we still don't know exactly how it's going to shake out, uh, you know, for the remainder. And I don't think you're going to see the president being, uh, pre you know, too eager to do that on his way out. So, yeah, so why should they float a debt to uh, yeah. bail out the incoming president, yeah. let him yeah. float his own debt? Right. So, you know, I think we're at least a couple months away from, from more relief, and that's a big issue for schools. But when, you know, Biden comes in, that's going to be the top of his agenda is, uh, is getting a relief package for schools, for local, state and local governments. And, you know, that as with the, uh, you know, with the original bailout that happened back in 2009, uh, this could probably be a, a major part of the the Biden legacy early on is, you know, what what kind of money is in there and what kind of rules and regulations are, you know, they, somebody going to sneak in another race to the top in a package like that? Uh, or have, have we learned our lesson? I don't see a race to the top. Uh, the Republicans will be watching for that. But uh, I do see uh, a new package getting through because, uh, more money uh, has already been on the table, and uh, that's compromise. You know, the House will uh, an astronomical sum, and the, and the Senate won't want to do anything, but they'll find the middle of the road, and, uh, and that will produce a quite a bit of, of new cash that school districts uh, will be able to tap into, just as uh, other parts of uh, state and local government. Yeah. And look, I, I think the other thing to look for, Paul, is the impact of all of this at the state and local level. You know, wh whether it's fair or not, uh, you know, Trump and Betsy DeVos have really been, uh, you know, uh, made it hard for some of our friends on the left to be in favor of things like charter schools and other parts of the reform agenda. Uh, you know, I remember uh, people running for governor and other offices as Democrats uh, losing in primaries because they were slapped with the label of, of promoting the Trump DeVos agenda. Well, you know, if, if we turn the page on, on this era, it's possible that it'll be okay to be a reformer as a Democrat again. And, you know, that, that may be positive. Uh, of course, we'll, we'll just have to see. As we've reported in Education Next from the poll that, that you and others have led, you know, we see a big split racially uh, within the Democratic Party, and, and uh, that's going to play out at the state and local level as well. Yes, although I would say the teachers union um, played a huge role in uh, shoring up support for Vice President uh, Biden in the uh, nominating process. They'll demand uh, their due. I, I, I don't think he's going to be in the same position as Obama was. Remember that Obama ran against Clinton, who had the support of the unions, and he didn't owe the unions much, if anything, 
And so, and he appointed a secretary of education who had been a superintendent on the ground in Chicago and had struggled with the unions uh, quite successfully. He got quite a bit of what he wanted. And, and, but he was, you know, he was anything but a hardcore uh, progressive union-leaning uh, secretary of education, but I don't think you're going to see a secretary Duncan. And I, yeah. as you pointed out, you, we might see a higher education person. That's a very interesting idea, but it's not going to be, you know, if it's not going to be sort of, uh, you know, a union leader, neither is it going to be somebody who's going to be well positioned to take on the unions. That's right. No, I, I think that's right. And, uh, and so probably that, look, the, the best that the reform crowd can hope for is, is a Department of Education that, you know, at least uh, is, it feels like it has to straddle between the Democrats for Education Reform types and the unions, uh, and instead of being uh, somebody that, you know, a Department of Ed that's fully uh, in attack mode against charter schools and, and other reforms. But what do you think, Paul? I mean, don't, don't you think this does make it easier for, say, uh, candidates running for governor uh, who are Democrats out there in the country, and especially in blue states, to be in favor of things like charter schools again? I don't know about blue states, but certainly in purple states and mm -hmm. uh, in red states. Uh, I do think this, that 2022 is a Republican year. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking two years to the <laughs> like everybody else in Washington or on the watching the political scene. Uh, the first rule of politics is that off-year elections go to the opposition party. Yeah. And the uh, Republicans have come out of this election well positioned to uh, make a comeback in mm -hmm. years' time. And uh, whether or not this leads to compromise, it might lead to compromise, but it could also lead to uh, opportunities for uh, for people who want to uh, uh, push uh, uh, a Republican vision of school reform, and uh, it's not it's not at all clear to me that uh, when you lose the presidency, that you lose a lot at, on the ground. You have a, a pause, but you may be in a stronger position yeah. in state and local elections. It, you know, Paul, one of the things that people have noticed right away are from the exit polls that it looks like Donald Trump and the Republicans made progress with people of color, uh, especially black and Hispanic men, but, uh, you know, also black and Hispanic women. Uh, they made a big focus, a big deal about their support for school choice uh, in charter schools. I mean, do you think that might have been a factor? Well, I haven't seen the uh, specifics, uh, especially on African Americans. I've seen so so many different numbers uh, <laughs> overnight. I'm not sure exactly what the bottom line is there. On the on the uh, Hispanic side, however, it's clear that uh, that community is not uh, is is, a, is an opportunity for Republicans. And uh, but then at the same time. The Hispanic community isn't demanding school uh, alternatives. They're really, they like their public schools. Yeah. I just don't know how this all adds up um, uh, in terms of the uh, racial composition of the Democratic Party. Um, I, I think it's, it's too soon to fig figure that one out, or at least for me to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So what do you see at the state and local level? Do you see um, uh, some new initiatives coming forward in the wake of COVID? I mean, to me, 
the landscape could change not just because of the election, but also because of the opportunity to think anew what mm -hmm. schools should be like. And what do you see as emerging on the agenda as the country recovers from this pandemic? Yeah, no, it's a great question, Paul. I, I know a lot of uh, folks out there, a lot of our friends are excited that maybe things like pandemic pods uh, and the hybrid homeschooling, all of that might outlast the pandemic, you know, and that we could see uh, many more kinds of options out there for families. And I, look, I think that's, that's certainly going to happen. You know, my gut says it's still going to be, uh, you know, a pretty small part of the overall picture, you know, that, that most of us parents are eager to get back uh, to playing our traditional role as parents and not as teachers uh, or as, you know, minders of, of what our kids are doing during the school day. But, but look, I, I do think there's going to be possibilities, especially in my view for the older kids, you know, for kids who are in high school where you're not worried about them, you know, they, they could sit in their bedroom all day and, and do school and you're not worried about, you know, the babysitting issue like you would be with the little kids. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of nuts, Paul, that we've had this system where young people could either choose to be to do an online school full time in states that offered those, especially through online charter schools, or they had to go to traditional school full time, you know, from 8am to 3pm. But we haven't allowed any kind of hybrid really in the public sector, where you could maybe have a schedule that looked more like a college student schedule, where uh, you did uh, more of your learning independently. Uh, and didn't have to actually show up for class in person as often. I think those sorts of options uh, are gonna, there's gonna be interest in that, but it's gonna take some state policy change to allow that sort of thing to continue going forward. So even let's say a charter school wanted to say, hey, we wanna have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday schedule. That's really not allowed right now, but, uh, but maybe we should allow that sort of thing going forward now that we see that, yeah, plenty of kids actually can learn pretty well online uh, if, if the design is right. So I, I think there's gonna be some opportunities around the edges. I think the big focus is gonna be how the heck to address the massive learning loss that kids are experiencing, especially the youngest kids. You know, I, I, I don't think any of us think that remote kindergarten is anything close <laughs> to, to, right, uh, to, to filling in for the real thing. Are we gonna just push those little five and six year olds along like none of this happened or are we going to give them a chance to catch up i think that's the big question well that is a question as to whether or not uh, young people can learn in one year what they ordinarily learn in two years it's it's, it's implausible um it, it, we don't quite have never experienced this uh in the same way we have now we do know from studies out there though that in world war ii when uh people in europe couldn't go to school for extended period of time. Uh, that had downstream consequences that never went away from these people were performing less well the rest of their life uh, than their peers uh, who had full schooling. So it's, um, it's a genuine problem. I think it's a problem, especially for the disadvantaged, but I don't think it's a problem that uh, even the, uh, those from, from advantaged families can, can escape from. Now, a lot of families are looking to the private sector, but how big is that? Uh, I, I'm alert to that because I have two grandchildren who, who yeah. left public schools this fall for, for Catholic schools in their neighborhood, uh, even though they had never considered doing that previously. So how much of that is going on? Yeah, I, I think that the private school people will tell you that that is really 
uh, not the rule, but the exception, you know, that this is happening in some affluent areas around the country, like Boston, like Washington, DC and Manhattan, and maybe a few other places where yes, uh, affluent parents who have been sending their kids to public schools or, and the schools aren't in, or they're only in half time or are opting for private schools. But, you know, much more common is, is, is a case where the private schools really are suffering, that you've got, uh, especially private schools that serve middle class or working class families, where those families have gotten hammered uh, by the downturn and uh, can't afford to send their kids to private schools. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's really a mix. As far as we know, it's so hard to tell. Uh, but that, uh, you know, th this is... This is not a golden age for private education in very many places, though there are some schools that have benefited. So to sum it up, you would say that look for changes in regulation, look for a new expenditure bill, mm -hmm. but uh, don't expect a lot of new initiatives coming out of Washington. That's right. But, uh, but you know, let's, let's see where, what they put into these spending bills. And, and look, the next big question, if Biden pulls this out, is what kind of person he can nominate as education secretary uh, who, who will please the unions enough uh, and he can get confirmed if the Senate is in Republican hands. How about free college? I forgot to ask you about free college. All those young people who supported uh, one or another candidate mm -hmm. in the primaries in order to get free, are they to be disappointed? I believe that they are going to be disappointed. I don't think free college is coming anytime soon. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mike. Uh, I've been speaking with Mike Petrilli, uh, the president of the Fordham Institute in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining me, Mike. Thanks so much, Paul. Appreciate it. This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson. Please join us every Monday at noon Eastern time when we release our next podcast.